Hello listeners and thank you for joining us in episode F in the A to Z of Tech podcast. Today we're talking about F for fintech and I am Louise Taggart. And I'm Hugo Warner and we are delighted to have with us today Jason Maud who is Head of Technology Advocacy at Starling Bank and Arthur Hughes-Hallett who is the Financial Services Lead for the Disruption Team. Welcome. Hello. Good to be here. So to start with a nice, simple, easy opening question, Jason, how would you describe what fintech is? I think fintech is a subset of the finance industry which has decided to uh, solve the problems you get in finance by using uh, technology and using technological practices that they have taken from the big tech firms. Uh, and it's using these uh, new modern technology solutions to deliver financial products and services to people in ways that they haven't been delivered before, generally speaking over channels such as uh, mobile or the internet uh, and so on. And it's that sort of thing that allows them to really disrupt the industry via their use of technology. Um, and you reference a series of technologies that make all of these possible. In a nutshell, what are those? Smartphones is obviously one. Um, most of the uh, challenger tech banks, uh, fintech banks, deliver their uh, accounts to customers via smartphones. Uh, another one is the cloud and uh, cloud-based computing. Uh, it becomes a lot easier to run a bank, scale a bank, to try developing new features and then get rid of them if they don't really work if you don't have to maintain your own servers, if you don't have to lug a server about everywhere with you. Uh, we can control the servers we need to control via uh, a web browser. So if we want to say, would this work? Let's try it out. We can create uh, another instance, uh, as we say, of a particular application, run it in the cloud, see if it works, and if it doesn't work, we can just drop it. And all that costs us is the time we took to run it. It doesn't cost us a whole nother server which we have to buy, which we're then obligated to use because otherwise it's a big capital investment that we've just wasted. Brilliant. So Arthur, you're from PwC's disruption team. I am indeed. Would you agree with that? Uh, Yes, I would agree with that. Just kind of building on it a little, I suppose, is we talk a lot about the idea of uh, thinking about, yes, it's about technology and how um, it enables uh, this change in the way uh, these financial products are consumed, whether that be by business or by customers. But kind of at the core, I think, of a lot of the fintech movement is about changing customer perceptions of what uh, a service really looks like from a bank. So the fact that you know you don't necessarily get charged an overdraft fee immediately, or you don't necessarily have to pay your insurance for a whole year, or you know making everything slightly more consumer centric. And I think it's all been enabled by the technology, uh, but we're seeing a lot of kind of consumer centric practices starting off in fintech, and then I guess kind of moving back out to the incumbents as well. 
And Jason, so uh, Starlink came around in 2014 um, and is part of a, a flurry of, of similar kind of financial sector startups, um, but it wasn't always the case. Uh, no, um, in fact, uh, before the uh, flurry of uh, fintech banks, uh, if you look at banking licenses granted by the Bank of England, uh, there was Metro Bank, uh, who um, uh, got one in the you know in the past uh, few decades. But before that, it, you really have to look back a long, long time to find another uh, you know a new bank, as it were. Uh, there were a lot of building societies that converted themselves into banks, but a brand new financial institution is something that you have to go a long, long way back to find. Um, so the industry, I think, was ripe for uh, revolution, ripe for uh, change and disruption, and that's what Starling Bank and uh, all the other fintech players have come along and done. And what do you think had changed at that point? So I think there were several things. Um, one was the financial crash in uh, 2008. That definitely shook things up. Um, and it definitely shook up the government because they realized that there were some banks that were, uh, as the phrase was coined at the time, too big to fail. So. Uh, they didn't want to be in a situation again where they had to bail out a bank because otherwise it would crash the economy. Um, so they started down the road of encouraging more banks to exist, to expand competition out. And uh, as such, they um, changed slightly the way that uh, the rules around banking licenses uh, were put in place, not to make it easier, so not to make it less safe for a bank to exist, but to make it, uh, to make a, a more easy to obtain path to getting your banking license. So uh, when Starling uh, first got its banking license, we didn't get a full banking license, we got a partial one. And then we had to prove our worthiness to be a bank uh, for a, a time before we were granted a full banking license after we we had proven the technology and the solution that we were going with. So what is it about these digital challenger banks that allows them to disrupt what we might have seen as the status quo more traditionally, Jason? Uh, that is the tech portion of the fintech. That's the disruptive element. Um, essentially, the uh, what we can do, the great strength we have as, as fintechs is the ability to move fast, the ability to see an opportunity, uh, see something that we can change in banking and change it very quickly. So what Starling Bank has done is it has come along and offered features that you have never seen in banking before. Um, and you know we are joined in that by other fintechs as well. Uh, these are things like the ability to freeze your card, for example. So before we came along, if you lost your card, the only option was to cancel it. And you had to remember the special number you had to call to cancel your card or find the obscure bit of paper that you had filed away somewhere with the number written down on. Then you had to call up the number, uh, tell them to cancel your card. 
they would immediately invalidate it, say they would send you another one in a few days, but until then you were without a card, and then you found the card down the back of the sofa, but it was too late. Your card has been cancelled. Starling came along and said, well, why not give people the ability to freeze their card? So you can go into the app, you can turn your card off temporarily, and then if you find it again down the back of the sofa, you can re-enable it. And so this sort of thing uh, was enabled by technology and allowed us to say, we're offering, offering you a banking experience with different features, which is not something that banks had previously done. Previously, banks uh, competed on uh, price, so they competed on what interest rates they gave you or what overdraft fees they charged you. And they competed on customer service, how good their customer service was. But they never really competed on what you could do with your everyday banking. That wasn't something that they decided to try and compete on. And then as soon as Starling came in and, uh, and uh, you know, started disrupting things by offering new features. But interestingly, people are still wedded to traditional banks. I remember a comment that, that you made uh, in a conversation we had previously about how, whilst people are, um, uh, for example, turning to challenger banks, um, to, 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 to new banks like Starling and so forth, um, making use of your services, but for things like, for example, salary payments, they'll still rely on, on, a, on a traditional bank. Yes, so, they, yeah, so I, I kind of heard this rumor uh, and seen a few talks about the notion of like how many people get their salaries paid into their challenger banks or, or their regular bank accounts. So I kind of tried out a live test in one of our internal events where there were 400 people in the room, all who worked in financial services. So I said, like, everyone stand up who has a challenger bank account, probably two thirds of the room looking quite smug stood up and we're like, yeah, we've got a challenge bank account. And then I was like, okay, everyone stay standing who gets their wage from PwC paid in every month. And there was only one person. And I think this is, and I would have expected it to be like 30, 40% maybe. And I think, so this is all around trust, I guess, is an element of that. So I think that's certainly something which the incumbents still have due to how trust is built over time. What would your thoughts on that be? Um, I, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. I think that um, there is still this notion in the back of people's minds that if you have a physical building somewhere that uh, you are somehow safer than a bank that has no physical branches. Uh, or, and that that is you know, still a a thing that people even subconsciously uh, uh, associate trust with that physical presence. I think that's going to go away though. Mm. Um, and I think that for a number of reasons. Uh, one is that as more and more people become comfortable with the digital and you know more and more comfortable with digital challenger banks as a thing, more and more of them will go, well, you know, they're you know they're a fully licensed bank. They are backed up by the government. They are regulated. They have the uh, the financial services compensation scheme guarantee. So they're just as safe as a bank that happens to have a branch somewhere. Uh, so, it, but I think it will be a slow process. 
uh, people are inherently conservative with a small c with their money um, for good reason. And so it takes a long time to uh, transfer trust over from bricks and mortar to the digital. And if you think about like, I think I completely agree with that statement. And I think you can see it even within the places where we've seen fintech has really kicked off around retail and consumer, so your card or something like how you buy stuff online, like companies where, where the trust barriers are relatively low. But if you think about something like your savings or, you, or your pension or even the insurance for your house, these kind of, these kind of trust barriers where, where things are larger, people are less keen to take a punt, basically. And although you're right, it's not even a punt because our regulator guarantees 85K in your bank account. So you're never gonna lose that. But yet in people's heads, because of how trust is built, that is still a punt. I'd be interested to know a little bit more um, about how this might develop in the future then. If we're maybe seeing at the minute, most people who have a challenger bank account are using it for things like maybe household budgeting, for example, or keeping track of their daily spend. What sort of developments are in the pipeline, um, Jason particularly, that might begin to change these kind of um, stereotypes? I don't think there are any specific developments that we, or indeed any uh, challenger bank are putting forward that will help rapidly increase that trust. I think that trust comes from a longer, re longer term relationship. So as a person uses challenger banks more and more, first for things like household budgeting or uh, going on holiday, for example, and as they uh, you know, use it more and more, grow more and more familiar with it, then their trust in it will increase and their trust in it will hopefully increase to the point where they go, you know what, I'm going to start putting my salary in here. It's just as reliable, if not more reliable, more trustworthy than the bricks and mortar banks. Fantastic. Um, and what do you see as um, being the potential of fintech to address uh, questions like financial inclusion. We're still about two million people or so in the UK who don't have a bank account. And in many instances, that just compounds problems of, for example, poverty. There are, for example, gambling addictions that people have, which financial, uh, financial technology might be able to assist with. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, one example of that is of tackling that sort of thing is Starling Bank's gambling block. Uh, so we have uh, the ability in the app for you to go and say, my card should not be used for spending at gambling establishments. And uh, if you turn that on, what will happen is any time you go into a gambling establishment and try and spend money there, uh, your card will be declined uh, because you've asked it to. And you know, we've, we've uh, got a lot of anecdotal evidence that that has helped people and helped them uh, you know, helps them in their recovery process. Obviously, it's not the whole solution, but you know, it's it's certainly something that can help. And it's this sort of thing, which uh, internally came about through a, a very you know, someone noticed that we could do this. They noticed that we were oh, as part of the 
you know, the message that we're getting back about where you are using your card, we, ha you know, we get back information on what type of merchant it is. And there is, a, you know, there's specific codes for uh, gambling merchants. And so we can look for that code and say, right, well, we could block that if you asked us to. And that all came about very, you know, quickly. And the technology setup that we have allows us to do this, allows us to notice potential synergies, potential new features we could uh, release and release them very quickly. And I think in terms of financial inclusion, fintech will be very helpful because we can move faster, we can deploy features faster, uh, we can you know, come up with innovative things and try them out, and it doesn't cost us a lot to do that. So we are more likely to do that than would be an incumbent bank. It's fascinating, though, because it could, although it's maybe at an early stage, it could transform your relationship with your bank entirely. The bank is no longer where I hold my money, but the bank is actually making me a better person. I tell, what my, I tell the bank what my proclivities are, and it helps me manage them. Yeah, and we at Starling want to help people live healthier financial lives. That's our aim, you know, when we provide people with these banking uh, services uh, to, lead the, to help lead healthy financial lives and uh, help take the sort of stress and confusion away from banking. Uh, because you know, money can be a big source of stress, it can be a big source of worry for people. So if they have more uh, both information at their fingertips and also more levers that they can pull to help them manage their money, um, whether it be the gambling block or whether it be our roundup feature which helps you save, um, this sort of thing, uh, those extra levers can help them tailor uh, their banking experience to fit in with their uh, financial life and the way they live it, rather than them having to tailor their financial life to the one or two methods that the bank provides for them. And Arthur, in the wider context, are there any other particular benefits that you see um, fintech and digital banking bringing to um, to the wider public? Um, yeah, I think there's been an interesting sort of movement, if we think over the last few years, if you think like uh, personal well-being, and then we moved on to mental well-being, where you're thinking about um, where you are, and it's much more common to hear people talking about this now in a, in a public area. I think financial well-being, as you said, is one of the main causes of, of stress for most people. I think fintechs have a real role to play, although I'm often interested by, we're recording this in London, and actually not too far away from where most fintechs are based. And I think there's an element of how we can spread this out into the broader parts of the UK, particularly around there are some barriers and it's the same and it's the same enablers which help fintech spread so quickly are also in some way the barriers, which is namely you need the right you need a smartphone, which therefore means you you've got to pay a contract of some sort, and therefore how do you get that if you don't necessarily have that? And I think you know, we're gradually starting to see this with other with other types of fintech players as well as starting using what they already have to help people. I think this kind of large economics of like how do you just make people even a sense check for three seconds 
might stop them doing it. I see this is a broader trend. But yeah, I think it's a super interesting space. It can only grow. So if we were to do a little bit of hypothetical crystal ball gazing, are there any particular developments you'd be excited to see in the next 10 years that would affect the fintech space, Jason? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there are a lot of the exciting developments will, I think, be around things like open banking uh, and PSD2. So these are the uh, legislation and technology surrounding that legislation that uh, mandates that customers should be able to take their financial data from banks and transfer it to other financial providers if they wish to do so, and that they should be able to do that in a secure manner. Um, so that opens up a well, world of possibilities where someone can uh, take their financial data from their bank and give it to uh, a mortgage provider or a pension provider and so on and have them process not all of their financial data but only the bits of their financial data that are relevant um, in a safe and secure manner. So this allows for the startup of uh, very small boutique almost outfits that are offering uh, products and services in a very specialized space. Uh, so that's definitely one thing. Um, that also allows for uh, things where you can try and prevent fraud, for example, by uh, saying, you know, by one bank saying to another bank, I'm about to, my customer wants to transfer money to this account. Is this account registered under this name, which they have put down? And the other bank can say, yes, it is, or no, it isn't and uh, you know, uh, do that in a secure manner again, and, uh, and that can you know, help them prevent fraud by going, you, know, you, you say you're transferring money to John, but then the account number and sort code you've typed in aren't John's account number and sort code. Are you sure you want to do this? Um, also, going beyond simply financial data, we could move into a space where someone's uh, identification data can be transferred. Banks, as part of setting up a bank account, have to do a lot of uh, due diligence to make sure that customers are who they say they are. Uh, but then if you go to another institution, you have to go through that whole process all over again. Whereas if a bank became a trusted provider of identity, then you could have your identity transferred from one place to another. Um, and you know, so uh, and to prevent you having to, you know, log in again and provide all of your, you know, uh, photograph, address, date of birth, and so on again, uh, in in the same way now that you could log onto a website saying log in with Facebook, you could log into you know your mortgage provider with your bank account, for example. Uh, so these are all potential. Uh, things, whether they'll come about or not is another question, but uh, hypothetical board gazing, I can see those as a number of areas we could go into. Brilliant. Well, we'll check in again in 10 years' time and see how many of those predictions are true. <laughs> um, and Arthur, what about yourself? Anything in particular you're imagining in the, in the not-too-distant future? Um, well, well, 10 years is a long time. So 10 years ago is like 2009. I mean, probably everyone got their statement still posted to them 
Um, banks were public enemy number one. I think over the next 10 years, from like a fintech perspective, I think we're going to see more scrutiny on fintechs. I think the sheen will come off as they get more mature. I mean, for me, I hope banks stop being seen, particularly from a retail perspective, stop being seen as banks. Like you don't necessarily, as you say, they're a way to manage your money, they're a way to manage your identity. Um, I think we're going to see more and more of that. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you both very much for coming in to speak to us today. I think um, there was certainly some interesting crystal ball gazing going on and it'll be really interesting to see how the fintech space develops over the next few years and begins to build that trust that you were talking about with the wider public. So if our listeners uh, want to go further and learn more about this vast and fascinating topic, where should they go to? Jason, first. Uh, well, you can apply for a Starling bank account uh, by downloading the app. Uh, you can also go to our website, starlingbank.com, a wealth of information on um, what we do and how we do it. Fantastic. And Arthur, PwC has recently launched a disruption in financial services campaign. You have indeed. So if you Google uh, PwC, that currency of collision, uh, it'll it'll give you a bit more of an understanding about where we think financial services is going. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And we hope you will join us in the next episode, which is not just 1G, but 5G. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter if you'd like to. I am at Lou Tag Tech. And I'm at Hugo Warner One. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and future episodes.